Hey everyone, welcome to The Start. I'm your host Patrick and I just want to say thanks for joining us throughout this season. Um, if you haven't been here for the whole season, thank you for joining me on this episode here. I appreciate all of you taking your time out and spending about an hour or so with me each week or each episode and I really, really appreciate it. This is the season finale and this this season has been incredible. Um, the season finale is with fantastic designer and to some extent um, a developer he does have some developer chops uh he goes by the name dan mall he and i had a freaking fantastic conversation what i liked about it is it wasn't inherently about his work it was tied in there but more importantly if you've ever met dan and you listen to this conversation you understand who you've met. You understand the guy that you've just spoken to. You can see his personality, his characteristics, all of the things that make Dan a fantastic person, a great designer, exist within this within this story, within this conversation that we had. I'm not saying that to try to hook you guys. I'm not saying it as some like mashable type link baity stuff. What I'm trying to explain to you is that listening to Dan talk and 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 talk about his upbringing and um, his family and the fact that he went to church pretty much all the time for his entire life. It just, everything sort of sunk in for me. You know, I, I was able to connect the dots as to why Dan is incredibly humble, uh, why he's more than willing to help everyone around him, why he's such a nice dude. Um, and just generally like a good guy. Um, I don't know that I would, that Dan would call me his friend per se, and that's okay. But I can tell you right now that he is the kind of guy that, you know, I would want to have as a friend. He's the friend that bails you out of jail. He's the friend that's there when shit goes sour. He's the friend that buys you a drink when you had a rough day. Um, generally, Dan's just a pretty freaking cool dude. And I really hope that if you haven't heard of Dan Mall yet, that you listen to this episode, you follow him on Twitter, Tell him, what's up, Dan? I just listened to your episode on the start, and I think you're a cool dude. Um, and just try to get to know him. He produces some really good work, and he doesn't do it for the profit, although I'm sure he makes it. Um, he does it because he loves he loves design. He is incredibly happy and, and humbled that he gets to do something that he loves every day. And more importantly... I think he loves what he does because it it definitely allows him to be the family man, to be the husband, to be the father that he wants to be to his wife and his two daughters. Um, generally speaking, I think Dan, if you can't tell, I think he's a great guy. Um, I'm not trying to like drool over him or anything, but we just finished a fantastic conversation that was, it was, it was just, it was incredibly enlightening. Um, he didn't tell me any way to get rich quick, but it was just nice to hear that this, you know, this guy was in a position a lot of us were in. He didn't have all the answers. He had to make decisions on opportunities. And it's all sort of worked out. And not because he knows all the answers, but because he sort of tr- he he has he has faith in something. Um whether it's his religion, which he's allowed to do that, whether it's his ability, he's allowed to do that too, hopefully not too cocky. Um but he just understands that it's all going to work out. And at that point, he just sort of sits back and enjoys the ride. It's a fantastic way to, to end season three. I've had an incredibly good time talking with everybody. 
Um, and then also sharing these these moments, these hour or so episodes with all the listeners out there. So thank you all for listening. Um, until next season, some of the admin house cleaning type stuff as we always do. If you aren't already subscribed, please subscribe. If you're subscribed or even if you're not subscribed, rate or view the podcast. That'll help us out a lot, especially because we are season-based. And what that means is that we don't produce a weekly show for eternity. Since we only produce a show that happens for about 10 to 12 weeks every six months or so means that we have ebbs and flows. Uh, We'll be in your podcatcher of choice for a couple of weeks and then we're nowhere to be seen. And then we're back in. So if you subscribe, rate, review, that'll help us. It'll help help us grow, help our audience become larger and help us expand throughout the podcasting land. Last and finally, not least, before we get into this episode, if you've got any suggestions uh, about the show, how to make it better, things that uh, I shouldn't do anymore, things that I, I should start doing, um, if you've got any guests that you'd like to refer for the show, send them over to me. You can reach me at uh, Patrick B. Johnson on Twitter. That's my Twitter handle. Or you can reach us at the podcasting Twitter handle, which is the Start FM on Twitter. Tweet at us on there. You can go to the website and you can email us. Let me know what you think. Every episode, um, I try to think about what I could do better, what I could do differently, and your input would be substantially helpful. All right, guys and girls, without further ado, here is the season three finale with Dan Mall. Hey Dan, welcome to the start. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's um, this has been a long time coming. I think we were scheduled like two or three times. Yeah, it's um, cool. I like it. Yeah, but I appreciate you coming on the show, uh, hanging out in what looks to be your office. Yeah. On this late Tuesday night. Um, but yeah, how you been, dude? How's life? Doing really well. I haven't had a chance to make it out to our our Brooklyn basketball games this season yet. Oh man, so. This is this episode is going to come out maybe a month or so later than when we record it, but uh, I didn't go this past weekend okay. because it was my girlfriend's birthday on Saturday night, so there's no way I was waking up. Um, but apparently one of the guys busted his nose up pretty oh, bad. Oh, really? Like him and another player collided going for the ball, and he he got the, the short end of the stick. Yikes. I'm yeah. glad I didn't go then. <laughs> it was an, an, an eventful... Sunday. Well, I think they moved it to Sunday now, but you should come out to one of the games. I know. I, one of the I mean, you know, it's it's nice to have an extracurricular, like casual Sunday game. But I mean, if people are busting their noses, I don't know if yeah, <laughs> it's me think no, twice about it now. We just come with like one of those, um, what, like the face mask that like Rip Hamilton had, Russell Westbrook had, LeBron had. There you like, go. To, to like protect your face. Yeah. I mean, I'll just come in like goalie pads or something. There you go. Do you play in Philly? No, not at all. I mean, that's why I do the Brooklyn thing, because it's the closest. It's actually closer than any league that I've ever attempted to join in Philly. But there's no, like, uh, just, like, parks you can go, like, have a run in? Yeah, there is, but I don't know. I, it's nice to play with friends. Like, so there's only so much of, like, showing up and, and uh, like, expecting to be picked up in a pickup game. 
I'm really? not good enough to. Yeah, I, I'm not even. I'm not good enough to like walk into a park and everybody like wants me on their team. So. Uh, we'll see. I so I do the same thing except I just be. I just end up being the person who's got the next game. Yeah. <laughs> I figured if you're the captain of the team, there's no way someone can kick you off. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you just walk up and, and say who's got next. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so I know you as Dan Mall, the creator slash co-host of the Businessology Show and the Workshop, which was awesome. I hope you guys do more. I also know you as the the gentleman behind Super Friendly mm-hmm. and the Twitter famous guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How, for those listening, I guess, if you want to give yourself a more proper introduction. Um, I'm a designer from Philly. Uh, I am married to my wife, Emily, who I've known since fifth grade. Uh, Holy cow. Yeah, so we've known each other for a long time, been friends for a long time. I have two daughters, a a three-and-a-half-year-old named Sita and a -a one-and-a-half-year-old named Charlotte. Um, And that's, that's my life. And then whenever I can design outside of that... I, I do. So you've been you're 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 back in Philly now, right? Yeah, you are. We just talked about that. Do you still hang out like your old stomping grounds? I don't. I've I've been to Philly like <laughs> twice, so I don't know. Honestly, I don't know the how big it is. Like, I mean, Manhattan's big, right? You can take an hour and a half and st- still not be at the end of, uh, or from Brooklyn to Manhattan, still not be at the end. Yeah. So, so like, are you still where like you grew up? Um, I'm a I'm a bit out, so I'm in the suburbs now. I'm in a suburb of Philly. Um, I say I still say Philly just because it's an easier thing for people to know. But like I grew up, I was just about born and raised in Philly. I mean, I was born in New York. I was born in the Bronx, but we moved away from the Bronx when I was really young, so I don't really remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I've lived in Philly for most of my life, so I've been in all parts of Philly. I've been in the, the burbs. I've been in Bucks County. I've been in the city proper. I lived in Fishtown. I lived in um, Center City. I lived like I lived everywhere in Philly. I went to school in Philly, and um, I grew up in North Philly, which is not not a great part of Philly. Um, you know, it's really the get. Like I, I speaking of basketball, um, when I was growing up, my grandfather cut out the bottom of a milk crate and we hung it on a clothesline, <laughs> and, and that's how I learned to play basketball was just playing on that. Like the the day that he found a piece of plywood on the street and we got a backboard was like the best day ever. Wow, <laughs> we so, did. My brother and I did something similar. Um, we weren't in the ghetto. It was definitely like lower middle class, but it was like a really it was a really tight knit group of friends. Okay, but um, well, so we had a garage, right? And around the the garage door was like brick facade, right? Just to look like stacked brick, like a line. Yeah. So before we had anything, what we would do is we played one on one with a basketball, and you had to hit like certain bricks. Oh yeah, totally. Like, right in the middle, <laughs> and then we upgraded, and we literally got like a milk milk. Car, or like crate yeah but it sucked like none of us were strong enough to cut through the plastic <laughs> and nice. then my grandmother bought us like a basketball hoop and that was like that was it that's what we did growing up and those are great days when you're when you're a kid you know uh, yeah I, I anything works. doing that uh yeah so so like i grew up in north philly um and i moved my you know my parents moved out to the suburbs when i was um in middle school so I, you know so i went to, to high school and middle school and in the suburbs um, and so I still visit a lot. Like I have, I still have a lot of friends in and around Philly and all different parts of Philly. So I still mm-hmm. kind of visit that area a little bit more. But um, 
I don't like, but it's not that frequent. So I'm in the suburbs and, and I, I very much stay in the suburbs. Like my parents live in the suburbs. My wife's parents live in the suburbs. We live like smack dab in the middle of them, which is what made me move back to Philly from Brooklyn after, you know, after doing a couple stint, a couple of years in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, and so m- m- the majority of my life is in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So what were you doing as a kid in Philly? Like, <laughs> I mean, I know what I was doing in Florida, which was a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Or playing basketball or like picking fights with my brother. Um, but like were you doing were you doing anything that relates to like design and stuff that you're doing now? Um yeah, I mean I, I was always drawing. I used to love to draw. Um from when I, you know, as early as I can remember, I've been in a, I was into two things. I was into Superman and I was mm-hmm. into wrestling. Um like I love WWF. So my grandmother, um it my grandmother was amazing. She's she's she was this like really like four foot something Filipino woman. <laughs> and I, I remember like being like three or four years old and she would come and wake me up Saturday nights. She would come to my bed and she used to, uh, my grandparents live with us. She would come to my bed, wake me up at midnight so that together we would watch the Saturday night main event, the WWF Saturday night main event. So we that's would watch awesome. wrestling together every Saturday night at midnight. Um, so she was into wrestling or she just did it for you? Oh, she was totally into wrestling. Like that's she awesome. loved wrestling. <laughs> she just yeah. loved watching. I don't know what it was. And she was also like, she was also really hard of hearing. So I don't think that she could even hear what they were saying on TV, but I think she just liked to watch it. I have no, yeah, I have no like idea like the theatrics why. of it and stuff. I mean, they're, those, all of those men and women are like just 100% pure entertainers. Yeah, totally. It's still good. I, I don't watch it. I watched it when I was in elementary school. Uh-huh. Like The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mankind. Yeah. I think he would teeter back and forth between like Mick Foley and every now and then it was like a dude love appearance. <laughs> yeah, but then he was Cactus Jack and WCW. Like that always kind of threw me for a loop. You know, I don't know how he could do that contractually. Yeah, I I don't know either. But like that, like even around that era is when I was starting to get out of wrestling. Like I never really watched when when it became WWE. I, I think I just stopped watching altogether. But yeah, like, it wasn't the same. The era that I watched was like Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Andre the Giant, Ultimate Warrior, Sergeant Slaughter, Legion of Doom, Demolition. Like, I, I mean, this is like you know mid eighties and, and late eighties. So like, yeah. Um, and I was I was barely old enough to remember it, but I, but like I remember like that was one of my my formative memories is my grandmother watching me or waking me <laughs> up to watch wrestling. So I was into that, and I was really into Superman also. So I watched all the you know the Richard Donner films and the, all the Superman movies and all the Superman cartoons and Super Friends and all that stuff. And uh, and because of that, I used to draw all the time. So I would just always draw Superman, Batman, Superman villains. I would draw the WWF characters. I'd draw Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior and, and all that stuff. And I would just always draw. And so, like, from, from very young, um, I was always drawing something. I always had, like, some sort of sketchbook or sketch pad or coloring book or something with me. And that lasted, I mean, well through high school. Like, when I, when I moved out to the suburbs, um, I went to a school... I went to a school where, like, you know, normally when you're a freshman, you're in your ninth grade, you're like, you're the lowest on the totem pole, right? Because you go to yep. a school and you're the youngest there and you get picked on and, and everything. But my school was weird because the high school was so small that there wasn't enough room for freshmen. So the freshmen were all part of the middle schools. So I started ninth grade expecting to be like, cool, I'm starting fresh like everybody else. But ninth grade, you were top of the food chain. So everybody <laughs> had their friends. Like I didn't know anybody because I just moved to the district. I'd just gone to that school. So it was really hard to make friends. And the way that yeah. I made friends was I would just draw all the time and people would come up to me and be like, hey, can you draw me? I'd be like, sure. And I would draw them. And like, that's how I made friends. That's how I met people. It was like, I was the kid who used to draw people, you know, yeah. and, and were you I would drawing... draw people as like superheroes, you know, and, and that's what oh, okay. I yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I was going to ask. I, um, 
I doodled more so than, than was like actively drawing. I think elementary school, I was really big into drawing. And then I, I, I won one award. It was like a county award. It wasn't okay. anything big. But my mom was like super stoked. She st- told everyone in the family. And then every time I'd go up to New Jersey, they'd be like, hey, why don't you draw me? And I'm like, I don't want to draw you. I, I want to just doodle. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I progressed into like doodling. Then I slowly stopped. It's one thing that I sort of, it's like, you can probably you probably know it better than I can, but if I I can pick up a pencil and I can I can draw now, and my skill is the same as when it was when I stopped. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't it. progressed, so yeah. I still draw like big like cartoon Homer Simpson eyes with like nice. a nose that like pokes out from between them, nice. um, and it's always on like the edge like the corners of the paper. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so you were you were drawing throughout high school. We need to back up because I want to hear the story, the the Corey and Topanga story with you and your wife. Like- <laughs> right. So uh, so we used to, we went to a, a really small Christian school um, in a suburb of Philadelphia. Um, and there was like, so I think I had gone to that school from first grade to, to eighth grade. Um, and in fifth grade, Emily, my wife, she moved to Philadelphia from Bermuda because her dad was a pastor. And so he okay. would get kind of shuffled around every couple of years. So like they were in Reading, Pennsylvania for a while, then Massachusetts for a while, then Bermuda for a while, and then they moved to Philly. And that's eventually where they end up settling down. So I remember I was actually the first one to ever see Emily in, in the school. Like, cause I remember when she was getting introduced <laughs> to the class, I was walking out to go to the bathroom and I saw her and I was like, Oh, I wonder if that's a new kid. And like, I, you know, I didn't really think much of it, but, um, but we'd always been really good friends since then. Um, you know, for a while we dated each other's best friends and like by dating, this is like eighth grade, right? So like we held other people's hands and you know, that's, that's basically it. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, we just known each other for a really long time. And I remember when I was, when I was dating her best friend and she was dating my, my best friend, we would spend hours on the phone just talking about our, our other subsequent relationships. And we just always had like a good, a good friendship. Um, and then, uh, you know, so we ended up dating seriously, like toward the end of high school, um, broke up a, like I think at the end of high school because she went away to a boarding school and I was going to a different school and so we were never going to see each other and yeah. then uh, ended up seeing each other again um, in college because she moved back and I you know I was I was going to school in Philly um, and we were also both really involved in our church and so she was actually um, she was leading she was singing at church one day and I just mm-hmm. showed up at the church and I played the piano. And they didn't have a pianist one day. So she was like, hey, do you want to play for us? And I was like, yeah, that's that's cool. I can do that. You know, I've always played by ear. So, you know, I can just sort of like pick up songs and, and like play along with people as they, when they sing. So she's that's like, so hey, cool. why don't you play for us? I was like, all right, cool. So I played for them. Um, we ended up having lunch after church that day. I was like, hey, let's go out for lunch. Um, we went out for lunch and, uh, and we just spent the whole day together, like went to the movies and we went bowling and the rest is history. Nice. You turned... A, a quick playing gig into a date. That's right. Turning to your it. wife, right? Like a true band member, right? <laughs> a true musician. <laughs> oh, that's cool. No, it's always good. I don't know. It's, I guess it's always the ones that are sort of under your nose, right? Yeah. Like you guys were always really good friends just to begin with. So it was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and you know, uh, I, like I was, I was never really interested in her in in high school. Not because, like, not for any other reason except that, like, I'm a bit of a contrarian. So, like, so as an example. I think the Apple Watch is a really great piece of technology, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to get it because everybody is going to have it, right? So yeah. like, the iPhone, I think, to me is an exception because it's a functional 
thing that I'm going to have anyway. But I I wear watches as as an accessory. So yeah. like I as a fashion accessory. So like just the fact that everybody's going to have the Apple Watch, I'm not going to get it. And the same thing with sneakers. Like I buy sneakers. I'm a I'm a sneakerhead. Are you, do you still buy actively buy sneakers? Oh yeah, I've got about like 35 pairs in the rotation right now. Like I used to have like hundreds. Um, I used to work at Foot Locker. My brother used to work at Foot Locker. A bunch of my cousins used to work at Foot Locker. So we and we were all the same size. So we'd all trade sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like I'll, we'll come back to that. Um, so like I, like I, I guess by nature I'm into things that other people are not. And yeah. everyone liked Emily in, in you know in school. Like everybody liked her. So just just by virtue of the fact that everyone liked her, on principle I didn't. I was like, I, so, no, I'm not going to like her because everybody yeah. else does. You know that disliking something because it's popular is also the definition of a hipster? Don't, please don't say those things. <laughs> <laughs> I won't, look, I, I won't say it. All right. Although, if it walks like a duck, it walks like a duck. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I no, was I'm totally kidding. hipster about not being into my future wife. <laughs> well, I guess you, you went mainstream then. And That's probably <laughs> for good cause. That's true. That's true. Um, so you were drawing a lot in high school and then, so like what schools you go to in Philly? Cause there's Temple is there, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I and, went to Drexel. Okay. That I knew that was, that's the other bigger one. Yeah. So I, they're, they're both of like decent size, but like they're definitely na- like known throughout the nation. Yeah. And, and I think, so there's kind of like two reasons that I went to Drexel. So one is that like, I, I was convinced, you know, that the rest of my life I was going to be a 3d animator. Cause, cause okay. like formative years when I was growing up, I think, you know, 90, 92 or 93 is when Toy Story came out. Um, some, something around that. Toy Story came out. I saw Toy Story and I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like convinced. Um, and so I wanted to go to school for animation. I wanted to be, a, originally I wanted to be a 2D animator. Toy Story came out and then all the Pixar hits came out after that. And I was like, okay, 3D animation. That's definitely the thing that I want to do. And I had, I had heard about like Pixar's culture and the way that the animators worked there. And I was like totally sold on it. Yeah. Um, and so like I, wa- I applied to a couple of schools. I applied to, um, I applied to the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. I applied to like um, a bunch of film schools like the Vancouver Film School and, and uh, um, CalArts and, and stuff like that. But those schools, you needed like significant portfolio. And so even though I was drawing a lot in high school, I like it wasn't like a thing that I was officially doing. Like I, I was more of a musician. You know, I took piano lessons and and you know I was a wannabe basketball player. So like I try out for the team every year and never make the cut, but I play intramural basketball every day. Um, yeah. And and so art wasn't really a thing that I thought I was like I wasn't like professionally into it. So I didn't have a portfolio. So I you know so I, I applied late to all these places. You know, end of my junior year and um and I fill out the applications and all of them want a portfolio review. So I spent like my junior summer trying to amass portfolio pieces where all the other kids I was competing against had like years of portfolio pieces. So like, and I just didn't realize that that's the thing that you needed to get into art school. Um, and so Drexel kind of applied, like I, for Drexel, there was no portfolio review. And the other, and so I was like, all right, well, I'm kind of shoe in there. Um, and the other thing about Drexel <laughs> was that, um, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't really the school I wanted to go to. I wanted to go to the University of the Arts, but I just couldn't get in there because I didn't have a portfolio. Um, the other thing about Drexel is that it's a, it's very much like an engineering school. So they're more like tech focused than they are art focused. Um, okay. And the program that I was in, I would have got a, a Bachelor of Science in art in, in digital media, not a Bachelor of Arts in, say, animation or something like that. So, yeah. um, so the program that I applied to was called Digital Media, and it was kind of a half and half program. Half of it was 
3D animation and, and modeling. The other half was like interactive stuff. So it was like Flash, HTML, Director, all of that. And um, when I took my first couple of classes and when I got into Drexel as a 3D animator, I just totally flopped. Like I was awful. It was just so bad in those classes. Like I, I just didn't realize what was involved in 3D animation and how laborious it was. And I just wasn't cut out for it. And everybody else in my class was just so, so good. And I was like, well, this sucks. Like I'm at the bottom of the class. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I was like, well, what am I going to do? And luckily, the other half of the program really, really interested me. Like the, um, you know, 2D animation, flash animation, interactive, HTML, like JavaScript, like learning that stuff I, was really intriguing to me. So like I, I sort of switched, like I stayed in the same program, but I sort of switched to more of a focus on that. And then I augmented that with um, graphic design classes. So I didn't, I didn't even realize that graphic design was a thing until I got to college. And then as I'm leafing through the course catalog, I'm like looking at classes that teach you how to use type and talk to you about visual communication and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I'm, like, that's what I'm actually interested in. I actually like that more than I like the, the animation stuff. Yeah. So I got, I got pretty lucky with the program that I chose. What, you know, I think if it would have been all in 3D animation, I would have I switched. Um, but I got lucky that it was kind of, you know, I learned, I learned early web stuff then. Yeah. Um, so going back, you talked about Toy Story. Toy Story is probably one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah, it still holds up, and it's so good. So all three of them. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the only movies, that, like the only trilogies, that all three of them are, are solid movies. Yeah, um, so I'm trying to think. I was five when Toy Story came out. Okay. And then they did the second one around when I was like 12. And then they did the third one right after I finished college. Okay. Um, so the timeline of Andy was my timeline. <laughs> gotcha. Right? So to me, it fit in really well. I'm reading a book right now, the Creativity Inc. Book. Oh, so good. Okay. Yeah, Ed Catmull, right? Yeah. Oh man. So I am very emotionally involved in Toy Story. I mean, like I said, it's my childhood. So like in Toy Story three, when that really bad part comes up, I was crying like a baby <laughs> because these are these are my toys. This is my Woody, my Buzz. Yep. Um, but as I'm reading, um. I'm I'm still in like I'm like in chapter five or whatever. But he talks about like Toy Story and then he talks about Toy Story 2 and he talks about the problem that they had to create, which was the fact that broken toys, while they may be loved, do get shelved. Yep. And they talk about how they how they introduced Wheezy to really solidify this point. And I like got teary-eyed thinking <laughs> about this movie again. That's such um, a great book. Oh man. Oh man, it's well, it's and so reading that now. It's definitely clear that like the animation part is the technology is a really good medium for them to tell amazing stories. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have the stories that they do, it 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 wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter if they looked like real people. It wouldn't matter if they were the first to do uh, like a complete 3D animated full-length feature film. But like the stories all hit home and it's just oh man, you you got me thinking about that book when you brought up <laughs> to a story. I love that. I love it so much. It's so um, good. When you were when you were doing the the animation courses, the three D animation courses, mm-hmm. what was it that you just weren't doing well in? Like, was it physically like catching up with the the learning curve of like the tools you guys are using, or just generally just didn't get it? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of, of both of those. I mean, I think one, I don't have a lot of patience patience when it comes to craft. So, like, I've never been like a like a crafts person. Like, I've never been the person who can cut out something really well and be very neat about something. Like, I rush through stuff. I, I do things really quickly. Um, to this day, I still I still do that. And 
Um, and 3D modeling in particular takes patience and it takes diligence. And I just didn't have that. I was just too impatient for it. And I think still to this day, I, like, I wouldn't be good at it. Um, and so it was, it was a lot of that. It, and it was also like the fact that, okay, you want to build a wheel on a car, you spend eight hours modeling that wheel and then you wait for it to render for three hours, you know, and like, and it's just a, it's not even moving yet. Like it's just, just the render of it, like getting the right material, getting the rubber right, getting the light to shine in the right place, getting all, you know, all that stuff. And I was just so impatient. I was just so like, so like, oh, I can't take this. And I had a little, you know, and, and I didn't plan well, you know, so I would do things like, you know, the day before the final was due, I would work on my assignment in the computer lab. And, and this is, you know, you're using software like Maya and 3D Studio Max. And, and like these are, this is software that costs thousands of dollars. So I don't have it on my computer. Like students might have like cracked copies or something, but yeah. like, I, didn't, I didn't have those on my computer. So you had to work in the computer lab. So you work in the computer lab. So first of all, there's, you know, 15 computers with the software on it, but you've got 30 kids that are waiting to use it. So if you get a spot, then you work on your stuff. And then you have to wait for it to render. So, you know, you finish at midnight the day before the final, and then you got to render it. And what people would do is they would take a piece of paper and write on it, like, rendering, please don't shut down, tape it to the computer monitor, and they'd go out for, you know, for dinner or, or you know, whatever, like, while your thing renders. So I would do this all the time. And I, know, I don't know why I never learned from this, but I would, like, finish at midnight, and I would render my thing, and I'd come back in the morning and so, like something would happen, like the computer would crash or the rendering software wouldn't work. And I'd be like, well, there goes my final. <laughs> and so like, I just, I don't know, I just didn't have the pacing for it then. I just didn't plan it well enough. And then I was just so impatient. I think the combination of all that stuff was, was like, like, dude, you're not good at, like you have to change your life <laughs> in order to be yeah, good at this. You're not good at this. You're not patient. You're not slow. Yeah, I need a life change in order to be good at this. And, I, and everybody else was just so good at it. And I don't know if I had, if it was like a fluke or not, but everybody else in my class, like right now, they're like leading lighting at Pixar or they're like an Imagineer at Disney. And I'm like, all right, oh, well, shit. so maybe it was a little bit of a fluke where like the rest of my class was just awesome. But, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm on Facebook and I see, you know, one, one of the kids that I went to school with. He like wins an Emmy for the for Paper Man short that they just did. <laughs> like, all right, well, obviously he was good, you know, <laughs> and he's still yeah. good. So, so I don't. We feel should that, have hung out with him more often. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, oh, I just I like I just won this famous award for for my work on this. I'm like, yeah, I wish that was me. <laughs> he like shows a picture and it's he's like, look what I do with my Emmy. It's a paperweight. Yeah, it's a doorstop. <laughs> yeah, like, Come on, if only I would have stuck out that eight hours of rendering. Um. So then you switched over to digital media and did you, was, do you think it was a mixture that like it matched your personalities or do you think, it sounds like it could be a few things, right? So I'm just, I'm not in your shoes so I can play, you know, bird's eye view over here. But I would imagine that at that point, anything that still piqued your creativity or, and your interest would have been substantially better than the 3D yeah. animation stuff. Yeah, so so like I didn't act, I didn't switch to digital media because that was the, di the digital media program. So I was lucky mm. that I didn't have to switch. I just okay. took less classes, like less animation class. So I had to get through the stuff that was foundational that everybody had to take, but everybody also got the chance to take an elective in like, you know, advanced character modeling or like advanced character rigging. I just didn't take those classes because like, I'm, not, I'm not good at that. Um, yeah. And so like I was lucky that the other half of it really piqued my interest. And, and I think it was that I was always interested in that, but I just never realized it. So I, I remember, and I've shared this story a couple of times on like, you know, other, other podcasts, but I remember being in fourth grade and having to write a paper, right? I write a two page paper 
Mm-hmm. And so I wrote the paper and I got to a page and a half and I was like, I don't, I have no more to write. Like, there's nothing left in me. <laughs> and I remember like it was in, it was Times New Roman. That was the typeface that I was using. And I remember swapping the typeface to try and fill out to two pages, right? Like, oh, and I remember looking at Footlight MT and I remember the letter spacing was a bit more generous. And I remember thinking the characters are a little bit wider. And so it filled out to two, to two pages. Yeah. And I remember like doing that all throughout middle school and elementary school. So I, I feel like I've always been interested in something like typography. I just never realized that you could have a career doing that. Yeah. So, so I, think, I think it was always kind of a hidden interest for me. And when I realized that that was part of animation and interactivity and the web, and, and like that's when it all started to come together for me. Like, oh, I, like, if I learn about type and I learn about it on screen... I can do things like typeset recipes in books, or I can, you know, change typefaces on a website, and I and like that whole that whole thing came together for me in college. That like that's how all of this fits together, and so I feel like I've always had an affinity for it and an interest in it. It just, you know, it just it only then dawned on me that I could do that. Were you a, a, a heavy user of the web at the time? Like, granted, I don't know what time this was. Yeah, like, so what this year? is like, so I I was in college in the early two thousands. So, so this was like right after the bubble burst is when I, when I went to college. So okay. um, this was a time where like people were heavily building sites with tables and the idea of building a web standard site, like a CSS, separate HTML, separate presentation and behavior. It was like, that was, that idea was just becoming popular. I think Jeffrey Zeldman just wrote his book around then. And that's kind of the time that I was in college. Prior to that, I was, um, I was lucky that in high school, I took an electronic art class and, um, oh, that's cool. and my teacher in that class, he was just like, he was awesome. His name was Mr. White. Um, and like, I don't know if he's still teaching there or what, but um, he would just, he would just buy software. And then he, there was four of us in the class and he would just be like, I buy, I'm buying piece, four pieces of software. Each one of you learn one of these. And then in three weeks trade. So like he would give me flash and he would give somebody else cinema 4d and he'd give somebody else dreamweaver and he'd give somebody else Photoshop. And so I'd just like be in Flash for three weeks, and I'd be like, "All right, I don't like I don't know what I'm doing." I remember building. I was on the wrestling team <laughs> in high school. I remember building um, like the wrestling team's website, you know, in in high school. Oh, like, that's so cool. You know, and and it was like it. People didn't really care about having websites as much then, especially for high school, so that anybody could create anything, and they'd be like, "Yeah, we'll put it up on the web." So I had this like cheesy tween animation, Flash animation of like a, like I, I did I did one for the weightlifting team, I did one for the wrestling team, and I did all like character animation in Flash, you know, all, all 2D, frame by frame. It was awful, you know, but I did it. Um, and so I was really lucky to be able to have that exposure in, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, so like learning Photoshop that early and being able to use it. So I think that that was really helpful for me to like from an experience standpoint. And then, so I've always kind of, like, I was poking around with Dreamweaver at that point. Um, I, you know, I didn't really know how to, like, I, I, was, I remember using Flash and going, like, okay, how do I get this on the web? And then learning about FTP and learning about, like, how to take a Flash movie and embed it in an HTML page and upload it somewhere. So I'd always been interested in that. And then in college, it started to come together as, like, how businesses start to use this. And I remember, you know, ESPN redesigning and Wired Magazine redesigning and, and Fast Company, you know. And, and realizing that, like, this is a job that people have and they can make money doing this and they can, you know, become famous doing this. And so, you know, that, I think that was, a, that was a good time to really be in all of that stuff. You know, the, the timing was a little bit too lucky for me. Yeah. So what did you do after you, well, I guess not after. So if you think back to, like, junior, senior year in college, you're now doing, focus more on the web 
based stuff in this digital media course. What were you doing? Like, obviously, I mean, I don't know. You probably got an internship. Yeah. But were you, at the time, did this become like an all-encompassing interest? Yeah, Or absolutely. was it still just, okay, yeah, what were you building, like, like, not in class? Yeah, this was like reading a ton of stuff on my own, doing a bunch of, of this stuff. Like, I was I was lucky that I had a, I had a lot of good roommates. So um, I roomed with three other guys at this point. Two of them were film majors. The other one was also a digital media major. And uh, me and the other digital, like this, uh, this guy, Mark Hewitt, he's now the director of development at Happy Cog. Um, he and I were roommates and we started our first freelance company together. Right. And so, oh, that's like, awesome. you know, as, as you do. <laughs> and yeah. I, I remember doing our first freelance gig. It was for a, a, like a local film company in Philly. And I remember we, it, we promised them the world. We were like, we're going to build you a full flash site. It's going to have a CMS. Like at that point, WordPress hasn't, hadn't been out yet, I don't think, or at least it wasn't popular. And so yeah. we were like, we're going to build a thing that lets you manage content. Like I don't even think we knew the term content management system yet. We're going to build that so that you can update your own stuff. It's going to have sound. It's going to have motion. You're going to be able to upload your films. And, and we were like, we're going to make bank on this site. We're going to charge them $500. <laughs> and we charge them $500. And so we made this site for them. We gave it to them and we we're like, what do you think? And they were like, guys, this site is awful. <laughs> this is just so bad. And we were like, we're like, seriously? And they're like, yeah, this is like, there's no way we would use this. And we're like, oh, God. Really? And, and they were just like, it, it's just so bad. And we were like, all right, well, will you pay us? And they're like, no. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> and we we're like, all right, fine. <laughs> and that, you know, that was our first freelance gig. <laughs> that was it. Uh, and you know, so, so like we were doing all this stuff on the side, I think even at the school too, like the school hadn't wrapped its head around, you know, I mean, it's the story of all higher ed institutions when it comes to the web, like the web moves faster than higher ed can ratify textbooks and curriculums and all that stuff. And so it was very much a process of our teachers were learning it at the same time as us. And I remember some classes where a bunch of the students would help teach the class because the teacher just was ill-prepared. Um, I also remember, though, like one of my one of my favorite teachers who I still keep in touch with. And he's, he's just an amazing mentor and a great teacher. His name is Jervis Thompson. And he's still teaching there. Like he he had just this amazing way of not knowing more than the students, but knowing how to coach them to learn stuff, right? So like he, he was just awesome at teaching. And of course, he, you know, he, he knew a ton as well, but even yeah. the stuff that he didn't know, he knew how to teach you how to learn it on your own. And he knew like, even he knew how to pick it up seeing it the first time and so, and so that he could teach, like he had that skill. And so I was really lucky to have him as a teacher because, you know, there were kids in my life, my, my, my buddy, Mark, um, he, I'm sure he knew more action script and PHP and JavaScript than Jervis did while he was teaching, but he still learned stuff from Jervis. Like Jervis was just an awesome teacher. Um, and, and he still is. And, and so like, I think at that time, the students who excelled were the ones that were doing a lot of it on their own, doing a lot of sort of self-learning, reading books at the same time, reading blogs, like seeing what people in the industry were doing. You know, I think, I think the ones that did that, I think we all were, the, you know, and I, I was, I was in that bunch. I think we all did better in class because we, you know, we loved doing that. And I would, I would try to let it infiltrate all my 3d classes too. Cause I remember taking one 3d, 3d class and uh, I somehow talked the teacher into letting me use Swift 3D, which was a 3D plugin for Flash, because I just didn't want to use the 3D animation software. So I was like, "Well, let me <laughs> let me do it in Flash, and I'll you know I'll, I'll use this plugin." And and they were like, "All right, that's fine, <laughs> that's cool." So I mean, this this really was like an all encompassing thing for me was was to be able to do that. And and I I augmented it too with um, 
with a bunch of independent studies. So I wasn't allowed to technically double dual major in graphic design and digital media. So what yeah. I did was I took like 12 independent studies in graphic design. So I did an independent study in typography, one in motion design, one in um, After Effects, one like so just as much as I can get my hands on. And I basically replaced all of my 3D classes that were part of the curriculum with independent studies in graphic design. So I feel like I got I got a really good education, um, you know, because I, I was like motivated to do it. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it was a lot of self-initiated stuff. Did you, at the time, did you think the web was going to be anywhere at the size it is today? Or do you think it was just like, I really like this? Yeah, it was more like, I like this. Like, maybe I could, I don't know. I don't know if I even thought that maybe I could get a job doing this. But I was like, this is really fun for me and I'm good at it. So let me me see where it goes. You know, I don't know that I gave it much thought of like further than that. Where were your parents in all of this? So, and I ask because I always find it interesting. I think sometimes you have parents who are like, do whatever you want. Yeah. Sometimes parents are like, go be a doctor, please. <laughs> yeah, my parents are the best. Um, so my dad's a CPA. My mom's a nurse. Both of them are Asian like, and, and grew up in very conservative Asian families. So my dad's from Pakistan. My mom's from the Philippines. Um, and both of them, they met in New York. So both of them were like the only, the only child in their, in their large families that was like, they were the ones that were sent to America to have a good life, right? So all their other brothers and sisters worked really hard to save money to send them to America. And oh, they, wow. they made it in America, you know? So like, they were very much self-starters. Like my dad came here with nothing. My mom came here with nothing. Like my mom's family was really poor. She got herself through, through college, like full ride, um, full ride scholarships all four years for nursing. My dad did the same thing with accounting, just like working odd jobs to pay for his own school because his family couldn't afford it. And so they, you know, they came here and they're very much self-starters. And they also kind of did things against what their culture expected them to do. So like really traditional Pakistani families, like you're, you're a Pakistani man, you get an arranged marriage to a Pakistani woman. Like that's what you do. Yeah. Um, and, and same thing with my mom. Like she's, you know, Filipino, uh, Fil- Filipino lady, you, you get married to a Filipino man. Like that's what you do. Um, and so them getting married you know, meeting each other, getting married in New York, in America, like was very much a shock to their whole families. Um, and so they were very sort of non-traditional for what their cultures expected them to do. So mm-hmm. my dad, my, my parents never really pushed me to do anything. Even like, I still play the piano to this day. And it's because my parents never once said to me, like, you have to practice, you have to practice the piano. And so I think that's why I still play piano to this day. Um, yeah. They never pushed me to do anything. They never pushed me to draw. They never pushed me to get good grades. You know, certainly they were, they were like happy when I got good grades and rewarded that like positively. But they, you know, they were never really like focused on that. The only thing that my dad has ever said to me about my job is if you're going to raise a family, make sure that you can support your family. I'm like, all right, that's cool. But like, I, you know, growing up in an, in an Asian family and having other friends and, you know, Asian families all of them were, ha- were like they had to become a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And you know, here my parents had no problem with me essentially wanting to become an artist. And my dad was like, he's like, look, if you want to have a family, just make sure you can support your family. And that was it. That's, that was, that's the advice that he's given me all through the years. It's like, like, can you support your family? Can you, can you do that? Can you, you know, can you not be a starving artist? And, and, um, you know, and that's always stuck with me, like whatever. I'm, and that's part of the reason I decided not to be a musician, you know, professionally, because although I loved it, I love that as much as I love design. It would be a harder lifestyle, I think. Were you at a stage where a pro- being a professional musician was realistic? I know nothing about the music industry, so I don't know 
when you break into quote unquote professionalism? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was more dedicated to music than I was about design. So I was starting design later than I'd started music. So I'd started playing music when I was three. Like I, I wow. would carry my keyboard to church with me every week. I had a, a little Casio keyboard and I would carry it to church. And every week the pastor would say, hey, Dan, do you have a song that you want to play for us? And I would march up to the front of the church and I'd play a little song and then I would <laughs> march back down. So like I've been playing since I was three and I've been doing design stuff since I was in high school, you know, or like mm-hmm. elementary school. So like I had a head start musically if I would, you know, whatever I was going to put the effort in, like at least like that was a thing that I've done more of. So I, I think I I don't know if I could, if I was cut out to be a professional musician, I don't know if I'm talented enough to do that, but I at least had the the years behind me of doing that. Totally. You had the practice. No, yeah. that makes sense. That's, I don't know. That's pretty cool. I've, uh, the only other thing I've ever done that long is basketball. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and I'm a short white dude, so that doesn't really pan out too well for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a short Asian dude. So that, that doesn't help me either. I remember trying out for the basketball team in high school and I did five days of tryouts and at the, oh, on the geez. fifth and the fifth day I got cut. And I asked the coach, like, hey, coach, why'd I get cut? And he's like, well, you're too short. I was like, well, you couldn't told me, you couldn't have told me that day yeah. one. <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to grow in these five days. <laughs> no. But you know, I, he was um, just being polite because I sucked. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't matter. That's fair. Yeah. We, so. we had a couple, well, in high school. So I played on my middle school basketball team. Okay. And I only got on the team because I played flag football. And I had like a really long touchdown in flag football. Nice. And it was super accidental. Like I thought the kid grabbed my flag and I just kept going. <laughs> uh, the coach was like, oh, you're the kid that runs. He's like, come with me. He's like, all right, practice is this day. I was like, okay. Awesome. Um, and I was, I would just hustle, right? I'd play really hard defense. I couldn't make a layup save my life. We ended up, my middle school team, we won like the county championship or whatever. Yeah. So all of us, of course, we go to high school, which was predominantly a football high school. And we're all like, well, we're better than every other kid here because we won championships. So we're all going to try out and get, get on the team. And when we get there, at the end of first day of trials, they start calling names for second day because they, they could like incrementally cut. And they're like, and this was after football season. And he's like, uh, where's Josh, Josh, such and such. And someone goes, oh, he's suspended for six weeks because of some violation. And the coach is like, well, tell him to come to practice. And I'm like, this dude's not even here. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't He wasn't a football player either. Just his dad was a coach. And I'm like, this is bogus. <laughs> and I just don't think, I don't think I got picked. But even if I did, I don't think I was going to go back then. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that totally. Point. So I think you and I are similar boats. Like I just played uh, rec basketball after that with like a bunch of my friends. And I just go to like my local park. Yeah. But um, so you're doing all this HTML stuff. Web design, essentially, um, for lack of a better term, especially in 2000, mm-hmm. where you get a degree, and then what, what are you thinking? Like, so I don't, it, I don't have a degree. I didn't get a degree. I okay, stopped. so you didn't get a degree, but you left eventually. I stopped nine credits shy. Um, Why is that? Because <laughs> I got an amazing internship, okay. and I got offered a job, and I, I can tell you about that. But I got offered a job eventually, and I was like, well, I'm in college so that I can get a job. And I got a job, so I, I guess I don't need college anymore. <laughs> I think that's a f- totally fair formula. Yeah, my mom would disagree, but you know, but here <laughs> we are. Uh, you know, I, I have, I have still. In order for me to have a degree, I need to take psychology one hundred and one, sociology one hundred and one, and anthropology one hundred and one, and I will have a degree. Have and you I thought just, about just doing it? I just haven't gotten around to it. 
That's fair. Yeah. And well, my mom's you can like, probably can you... take them online now, too. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and my wife majored in psychology. She's like, I'll just do the class for you. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I'm like 300 bucks away from getting my degree. <laughs> yeah. and, and like, you know, I can do it at a community college and it would transfer. And, and you know, the only reason I would do it is my mom's like, can you please just do it? Could you just get your degree? Like, I paid for school. I'm like, all right. I, like, so eventually I'll get it, I, I think, if they, if they let me back in. But, yeah. you know, I'm, like my logic was I'm in, t- I'm in school to get a job. I got a good job. Like, Mission accomplished. You know? Yeah. No, it's fair. Where was this internship at? So I got an internship. It was through the school. Um, one of the one of the things that I really liked about Drexel and and um, kind of convinced me to go there, even though it was the only school I got into. Like if if it had been one of a, a few that I would have gotten into, one of the things that I think is a is a factor there is they they force you to do a six month co op. So you have to do an internship as, to get college credit. And in retrospect, that co-op is so valuable. Like, I, yeah. I don't know why every school doesn't do that. But part of your junior year is um, is you got to do six months worth of internship. And uh, the engineering programs are, are all five-year programs because you do a year's worth of internship. Oh, wow. That's so, actually pretty cool. Oh, it's great. And, and you know, that was like a big part of, of the value, the, like the, the valuable piece of going to Drexel. Um, so I, you know, I was looking through the internship board and, and I was looking... Uh, like a semester before I was supposed to do it just because I was like, I want to get a head start on this. Like, I'm really into this. And I found one for this local place. Uh, it's, it was in Conshohocken, which is a, a suburb of Philly, um, for a place called TMX Interactive. And I was like, all right, that place looks cool. Like, that, you know, I check out their work. You know, the work looks really good. So I applied for the internship. Um, I go in for an interview, like expecting to have to wow them. And they're basically like, like it's an internship position and like, we'll just like, if you can get here, you basically have the job. Yeah. It wasn't really selective. Um, and really the job was like, just come in and like shadow people, help people. And I remember my, my first couple of days was, um, they all had square business cards and they were rebranding. Uh, and so they bought a corner rounder and I'd have to punch all the business cards and make them <laughs> round. <laughs> it's like a great internship task, you know, yeah. but I was, I was happy to do it. You know, like I'm ha- I was happy to be around it and like, you know, I'll pay my dues. Um, yeah. and so it was this, uh, it was just an awesome place. And, and I didn't realize it at the time, or I didn't realize it when I was applying, but once I got there, I mean, the, their team was stacked. So like <clears throat> the people that I worked with there were like, like the all, like all stars. I mean, they, it was probably the best team I've ever worked with, like to this day in, in my career. Like Jason Santa Maria was a designer there. Rob Weikert was a designer there. Chris Cashdollar was a designer. Andy Shulman was an animator. April Donovan was a, was a designer. Like all these people are doing like such incredible things now. Like Jason's working for Vox Media. Rob is doing his own thing. Chris Cashdollar was the VP of design at Happy Cog. Andy Shulman runs motion design at Crispin Porter. Um, April Donovan runs her own studio called Blue Collar out in Portland. Like these people are doing amazing, amazing work. Um, and, and we're just all under one roof from the same team. Kevin Cornell is an amazing illustrator. Like it was just a, a fantastic team. Um, and, and like, I got the chance to work with them like as my first job. Uh, and so that was just, I don't know, that was the best. Like so the agency doesn't exist anymore. Like they mm-hmm. got acquired and then I think folded or, or something like that. But it was, I don't know. It was like the, it was like working. I don't, I don't know how to, it, it would be like, I would get an internship or I, I would be like a, like get drafted to the bulls when Michael Jordan played, you know? Yeah. <laughs> how then, did, how did all these people get there? Team after that. I don't know if they were big names then, but they're big names now. How were they all at this one place? So a bunch of them had gone to school together. So like I think Jason okay. and Rob and Kevin and April, they all went to Kutztown University, which is um, in, in 
uh, in upstate Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're all kind of from around the same area. So they figured they would all get a job together and they were all really good friends. Um, gotcha. and, a, and a couple of people were from Drexel. So like Chris Cashdollar, he, he, you know, he worked at, uh, he went to school at Drexel. Um, so I think it was like the combination of a bunch of friends that wanted to work together, plus a couple, a bunch of people from the area that were really good. And it just like turned into the super team, you know, That's and, it, crazy. and I, man, I learned so much working there from all those amazing people. So I want to make sure I'm hearing this correctly. Chris's last name is Cash Dollar. Isn't it the best? Dude, Cash Dollar. That's so great. Yeah. Uh, that's badass. So <laughs> yeah. how long were you at this internship before you got a job? Uh, so I did, um, I think I did like four or maybe, or maybe six months there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really wanted to work there really, really badly. I, I was like begging them, like, please give me a job. Like, I'll do, I'll do whatever. Like, please give me a job here. And they're like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Um, and then I think things got a little weird. Like, like I was an intern, so I wouldn't really know much about like the politics or like whether people were happy. Or that. Like, I was on cloud nine. So working with a good team. I had a job. They were paying me, like at least paying for my train to get there. So yeah, like I was happy. Um, but I think like I think a lot of people had been there for a long time and just didn't like what they were working on or, or something. Something happened, and a bunch of people left. So like. All at the same time, basically the whole design team left, save for oh, like wow. one or two people. And then they called me and they're like, hey, do you want to have a job? Do you want to work here now? And I was like, no, I don't. Like, those are the people <laughs> I want to work with. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I kept in touch with them uh, for, you know, still to this day. Um, and I ended up getting an internship somewhere else. I got an internship at a place called Electronic Inc. And that was okay. kind of an interesting arrangement with, between Drexel and, and Electronic Inc. So I think Drexel was looking for a new website. And Electronic Inc. bid for it, and they, um, you know, they they won it. Uh, and part of the deal was Drexel said, like, we want some of our digital media students to be involved in the process of building the website. So they oh, took that's really me cool. and, and another friend of mine. Like we, like that was our internship. Like we basically yeah. worked at Electronic Inc. Supplemented some of the projects that they did, but our main project was to redesign Drexel's website. Um, oh, I'm sorry, awesome. not, not Drexel, not the main website for Drexel, yeah, yeah, but yeah. for our college, the Media Arts and Design College. Um, so we got to build that website from scratch with the supervision of like senior designers and senior architects and engineers and, and all that stuff. So that was a really cool experience doing that. That's badass. And Electronic Inc. probably maybe save some money because like you guys are interns totally. right? it's not it's not like a, a designer elite designer salary or, or billable hours yep um so how long so were you there to see the the this project launch for your college i mean i know sometimes agency world that stuff takes a while yeah i mean it was really ours like it, it, in retrospect it was such a good project and it was a good process because it's kind of ours to screw up so we did it start to finish and we launched it there like in six months. Like, can you imagine that? Like, oh, wow. Like, you know, we did the whole thing. Um, we, we, you know, design, build, everything. And we launched it by the, by the end of our co-op. You know, it'd be really interesting to see if more universities did something like that. Yeah. Like, I, I went to school for PR or marketing, ad PR, sort of a little bit of everything. Uh-huh. And we, in our senior project, they would give you a real client, like a real client in the Tampa Bay community, but you weren't actually, like, you were working with them, but, uh, like, it didn't really mean anything. Gotcha. Right? Like, if you would do, a, like, a, a marketing advertising campaign, but you're not actually spending their money on billboards and <laughs> right. stuff. Uh, but in this case, right, because it's a little bit more tangible and realistically, it's not expensive to build a website because I could do it from my computer at home. It's expensive for all the others, all the other reasons, but um, 
it'd be really cool to actually have students, and I'm sure there are places that do this, uh, work on their university or like a product that they're closely related to. Because you get everything involved, right? You get the work experience, you get um, something that's like close to your heart, right? Or So you're, and, and then because of that, and because you're sort of doing both parts, your student and you're working at this company, you uh, have mutual interests. So you sort of definitely want it to succeed on both ends. So you sort of can't fuck it up. Yep. I, I was I was just at a kickoff um, last week and uh, it was a kickoff for a, a, a small university. So we're redesigning their site. Mm-hmm. And one of the, and it's probably the, the best kickoff I've been to in a really long time. And, and the reason for that, and I've, I've done my share of higher ed sites too. But mm-hmm. what I loved about this kickoff was we had probably throughout the day, maybe 100 to 150 students participating. Oh, um, wow. So, so some of the teachers would bring their whole design class in for, part, for some of the workshops that we were doing. And man, these kids were so bright, like so, just so sharp. And you know, the, the site that we're redesigning is the main site. And we got the president of the, of the university to basically say, like, I am sure, I'm 100% sure that this site is about admissions, right? We want to increase admissions. Mm-hmm. We don't care about anybody else. Donors, alumni, you know, those are secondary audiences. This site should really be about increasing admissions, specifically undergrad admissions. Mm-hmm. And so to get a bunch of freshmen in who had just gone through that, through that process and tell us, this is why I came to this school. This is what I looked for on the website. This is what I told my parents. This is what my parents care about. Like, this is how they got in touch with finance. Like, sure, we're doing all of our, our research, our, our due diligence. But to have 100 kids tell you why they came to this school, I mean, that is like I, – so I took very little notes until these kids came in. And then I just yeah. shut up and I took, you know, seven pages worth of notes just recording everything that they were saying – because and, and I, I you know I credit the school for having the the in, the foresight to be able to say like we should have students as part of this process like yeah. I think I like I think I offered four or five of the students a job I was just like you are you are so <laughs> bright I just gave my business card I was like if you need help getting an internship somewhere if you want to come work for me or work for anybody on this team like please call me because they were just so sharp and just so like invested in what they were doing um, you know I was just so impressed by that. Uh, it, it was like it, I'm so excited for this project because of that. You should um, you should pay it forward and have one of them come help you build it. I would like that would be a dream. I would love that absolutely. That's pretty cool. Um, so you're at Electronic Inc. Mm-hmm. Then what's next on the? Well, how long were you there? So I was were there for six just months. for six, did months? A six month co op there. Um, at that time, uh, one of the designers there, uh, his name is Greg Hoyt. Greg, he basically got an offer from the company. The company said to him, like, we were, we're thinking about opening up a web-specific division. So that company does usability. They do human factors. They do heuristics. They do all sorts of stuff like that. They don't specialize in web, but they know enough about digital to, to yeah. do that. Is Electronic Inc. still around? Is they that are, the company yeah. you're and they, and they still do a lot. Like, like, for example, one of the projects I worked on when I was there was consulting uh, on the turnpike, right? And, like, how people pay tolls better. Right, so that was like a usability oh, that's cool. problem. Yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. An, it's an awesome, uh, an awesome project, and and like their team, at least at the time, was made up of all sorts of different types of designers. So it wasn't just graphic designers; it was like sneaker designers and industrial designers and product designers. Like because you get all those different perspectives when you approach like the turnpike. Like how can you make the turnpike better? Yep. Or how can you make a highway better? You know, so it's not just how do you make a website. So they didn't really have like a particular specialty in web, although they did web stuff. But they were like, you know, this web thing is really catching on we want to start a web-specific division of our company that just does websites and is really good at that. 
And they asked Greg Hoy to lead that up. And so Greg asked me, you know, he was like, if I start this, this division of the company, will you do this with me? And actually, the, the, the thing that led to that was, and I don't know if I'm particularly proud of this, but um, there was a developer there. You know, we were, we were building a site. And I remember being in earshot of a design review. And I remember the developer saying, we can't build that with CSS, right? Like, like we, we can only build that with tables. Like, CSS isn't good for that. And I remember looking over, and I didn't say anything. And I walked up to Greg after that meeting. And I think I, I was, I don't, I don't even know if I knew him at that point. I was like, hey, my name's Dan. Like, I think, you know, I'm working on this thing. I was like, I'm pretty sure we could build that with CSS. And he's like, are you serious? I was like, yeah. He's like, why don't you do a prototype and show it to me? I was like, okay. So I built a prototype and I showed it to him. And he's like, okay, pretty cool. And I think maybe that developer got fired. <laughs> like, oh, no. So I feel really bad about that. And um, he shouldn't have said no. I mean, it, a developer's yeah. job is not to say no. It's to figure out what the constraints are, right? How far you could take something. Yeah, I get it. I, I was like... I was just so green that I just didn't know like how to handle that situation. Right? Yeah, no, that's fair too. I mean, if you had a little bit more experience, maybe you would have approached the developer versus totally. The, yeah, like I, I totally right. like I, I threw under the bus. I like you know I I went around like I I did a lot of things that I wouldn't have done right now. You know. Yeah. Um. But but like so I think after that, Greg kind of trusted me a little bit more with stuff like that. And he and so when he when he was going to start this thing, he was like, well, like, do you want to join me in doing this? And I was like, I would love to do that. And so me and, and my other friend who was part of the co-op, like we, we basically started this web division with Greg. Um, and it was the three of us that started. And the way that he started it uh, was, <laughs> again, like in retrospect, it just sounds so silly, but it, it, it worked. Um, that was a time when web standards was, was just kind of catching on, you know, and not a lot of people were doing it. People were building sites with tables. And so what we did was we made a list of all the agencies in Philly, all the web design agencies in Philly, and we ran all of the sites through the HTML validator and we posted the list publicly. And we said, oh, no. of, this, of the 100 agencies in Philly, there are three whose sites validate. These are the th- If you want a website built, go to one of these three. And we totally called everybody out. Yeah. You know? And we got a lot of business. We got a lot of press. And we got a lot of business from that. Um, and that's how we started the company, Pixelworthy. So Pixelworthy came out of Electronic Inc. And, and we did that. And so you know, as we were looking at hiring people, Greg was like, hey, do you know people that you know, that might want to work with us. And I said, well, yeah, I worked with these awesome people at, T- at this place called TMX and they're just freelancing now. And he's like, well, why don't you introduce me to them? So I introduced him to Jason Santa Maria and Rob Weikert. Um, and he made a deal with them that was basically like, you know, work from a studio five days a week, but you only have to work on pixel worthy stuff two days of the week. Right. So like you have access to our space, like I'll get you computers and all that stuff. Like I'll get you whatever equipment you need. Um, just like hang out and, and work with me part time. And they're like, all right, that's a sweet setup. So we basically did that, you know, so we had, we, get, we had a full team. Some of us were part-time. I was part-time while in school. Like I was still taking classes at that point, you know, mm-hmm. Jason and Rob were part-time, but between all of us, you know, we could take on enough projects and sort of like, you know, figure it out well enough that all of us working part-time, you know, we could, we could do it pretty well. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of fun, you know? Well, that's, uh, it sounds like exactly what you would think the earlier days. And I use that loosely. Right. Like it wasn't like straight up table layouts. Like at that point you could use CSS or stuff, but the earlier days of CSS, it sounds like you guys took that, right. This like, I don't want to say a hacking kind of approach, but very much a loose um, sort of ever flowing approach to like starting a company and building it up just with like good minds. Who cares if you're there hundred percent, you don't have to focus hundred percent of your time because you're still doing something. Yep. That's 
why don't people do that more? Well, it was often? it was the Wild West, right? Like it, it was awesome yeah. because like there was no model for how you do it. So we were like, all right, well, this kind this makes sense to us. Let's try it this way. How did he get? Well, I guess they were part time workers, so he wasn't actually paying salaries. That's right. Uh, so even then, it still works out. Yep. And I, essentially, I was a contractor, even though I was like, you know, I wasn't doing anything else really. I was doing a little bit of freelance on the side, but yeah. you know, we were all contractors. So you know, there were actually no. I don't think that there were any full time employees. We might have had one or two that were like exclusive, but most of us were contractors. See that? I don't know. That to me makes sense because it's like, at the very least, get really smart minds in the same room. Yep. They don't have to work together. Just get them in the same room because maybe something can happen. Yeah, I mean, Greg is a genius when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like he, he is, you know, he's one of the best people I've ever worked for. Um, he, you know, he, he knew that. And he knew that way before any of us did. And he was just like, if I can get them here, we could turn it into something. And so, and he did it. So what did it become? So after a while, so at that time, Jason was doing some freelance work with Jeffrey Zelvin. I was doing freelance work with Jeffrey Zelvin. So was Rob. So was John. So was Mark. Like, so Zeldman was us. sorry. Was was Jeffrey essentially your guys is uh, like pimp? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so the way that that worked was, um, you know, I think Jeffrey wrote the story up somewhere, but um, he was working with Doug Bowman at the time, and they were working on a site. And Doug did all of his comps in Illustrator, and uh, and Doug threw out his back one day on like he was working on the project and. and um, during while during the time that he was working on that project, he did something where he threw out his back and he couldn't work for a while. So Jeffrey's kind of freaking out a little bit, and he was like, "I don't know how to use Illustrator well enough. Like, I need somebody to fake being Doug for a while, you oh, know, wow. to, like, to finish the project." And that week, Jason Santa Maria on his site wrote a post about how he uses Illustrator for design. And so Jeffrey comes across this post, sends Jason an email, says, "Hey, my name is Jeffrey. I have this project. Like, I need you to be Doug. Can you be Doug?" And Jason's like, totally cool. I'm happy to be Doug. I'll ghostwrite this project, you know? Yeah. And, he, and he, he just did so well on the project that Jeffrey's like, I'm going to work with this guy forever. Um, and Jason awesome. became his go-to. And then they were doing a site for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and uh, they were building the cheerleader section, which was all done in Flash. And nobody knew how to do it. And so Jason asked, or Jeffrey asked Jason, like, do you know anybody that does Flash work? And Jason was like, well, yeah, I worked with this intern, you know, for a while who does Flash stuff. And so he called me and, and I worked on the Kansas City Chiefs cheerleader section. I built a, a fully accessible, standards compliant flash thing for the Kansas City Chiefs where you like so roll awesome. over one of the cheerleaders and like and you can like click on their picture and it gives you stats about them. It was like this, you know, this really simple page. Um, yeah. And so through that, you know, like I, I enjoyed working with Jeffrey and, and, um, and so like all of us were sort of like that. And so we were all doing a bunch of work with Jeffrey at the time. And he's like, look, you guys are all in Philly. Why don't you just start a branch of my company in Philly, like call it Happy Cog Philadelphia. And, you know, and like you could make a business off of the stuff that I turn away. Like he's like, it's just me, you know? So I get more. Where was he at at the time? Was he in New York still? Yeah, he was in New York. Okay. So, um, so essentially we all jumped ship and started Happy Cog Philadelphia. So Greg from Pixelworthy did not join. Uh, Greg did. Greg became the founder of Happy Cog Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, Everyone jumped ship from Electronic Inc.'s subsidiary, Pixelworthy. And, and, and I think at that point, it was sort of winding down, too. Like, I think that was the point where we were doing a lot of really good work. And the, the talks at the company were sort of like, well, you know, we it's probably time to fold this back in, you know, because it, it was a worthy experiment. And, and it, yeah. you know, and, you know, let's fold it back in now. And I think all of us were sort of feeling a little bit weird about that. And so, you know, it was a good time for all of us to kind of move on to the next thing. So... 
here's a question for you. And I'm going to play ignorance to all of this in hopes that you tell me something cool. Um, when Jason wrote that post about Illustrator, I would imagine it was substantially easier to find somebody writing a post like that about Illustrator than it is today. And I'm speaking purely on Google ability, not so much the topic. Were you guys, and I was introduced to Zeldman as like the godfather mm-hmm. of the internet, mm-hmm. right? And even then, that, he, that was still around the time when he did like the web standard stuff. So he was still very much in the forefront. So at any point, did you guys have like, not fear or doubt, but you're like, holy shit, like this guy's no joke. Like I need to, <laughs> I need to come correct and make sure this is, I need to make sure this isn't another, um, like your, your first freelance gig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <totally>. $500. <laughs> yeah. But were you nervous at all? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think this is, this is like my favorite thing about Jeffrey and like Jeffrey's one of the best creative directors I've ever worked with because he knows how to disarm that feeling. You know, so like even before I was even close to working on a project with him, the amount of trust that he already seemed to have in me mm-hmm. was immense. And I'm like, like I like it didn't even cross my mind that I was going to do a bad job for him. Yeah. You know, and part of that was naivete for sure. You know, as a, as a kid and as a student. And part of that was just that he had faith in me. Like as the person hiring me, he was like, we're going to do such a good job. We're going to do great. It's going to be awesome for Kansas City Chiefs. Like he just built me up so much that it just wasn't really like, it didn't even cross my mind that we would screw it up. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And that's the thing about like, that's the thing I love about working with Jeffrey. Like, you know, I worked with him at, at Happy Cog and I also worked with him as part of the Alista Part team. And the thing that he does first, and this is the thing that I learned from him that I try to do as well, is the first thing he does when someone does something for him or with him is he praises them. He all like in a base camp post or in an email or you know, on a phone call, he says like, thank you for doing that thing. Like, we would be so lost if you hadn't done that. And he doesn't, like, blow smoke, but he's just so, like, he just praises people and he builds them up and he gets good work out of them, you know? And, and that's the thing that I, I, like, I'll never forget about working with Jeffrey is that he just, that's the first thing he does. You know, he just tells you how much he's excited to work with you and how much he values your contribution and, and you know, and how much of a good job we're going to do together. And, you know, I think he's he's really excellent at doing that. So I don't think, you know, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, it never crossed my mind that like, well, what if we screw this up? And what if the client's not happy with it? And what if, you know, like, because it was all in Jeffrey's hands and according to Jeffrey, it was all good. You know, like everything was, we're, we're going to be great. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he, um, I don't know, when I hear him talk on his podcast and he mentions his daughter, he sounds like he's very much a um, supportive father. Yeah. Like, you want to go chase dragons? All right, let's do it. Yep. <laughs> We're not going to find any, but let's go. Yep, totally. Um, so, and it definitely sounds like he was like that in his work, but it also sounds like he was like, I'm paying these people to do a job and I trust that they can do You know what I mean? Like, he definitely respected the fact that the the, the work relationship you guys had and what he, the skill he was asking you to provide for exchange and money. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, like... I was lucky that Jason recommended me, right? Because so Jeffrey trusted Jason. Jason recommended me. So I think there's some trust that comes with that. I don't know the initial project that Jason did with with Jeffrey. I don't know if that was a Hail Mary for Jeffrey. Like, I don't know if he was like, I'm in a bind. Like, I'll take anybody. Or I don't know if he'd had his eye on Jason for a long time and just was looking for the right. Like, I don't know what the circumstances were. Mm -hmm. But but like speaking for my situation, I think he trusted Jason so much that if Jason said I was the guy, I was the guy. 
you know, and, and I think, and that gave me confidence. I think it gave Jeffrey confidence. And I think you like when everybody goes into it, like feeling really good, you know, like it's, it's hard to deter you. Yeah, no, that's true. They're not setting you up to fail. I mean, you know, it's, and it's one of those things where it's, it, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like your relationship with Jason and some of the other guys and girls that you worked with were, if you got stuck, you could ask them. Yeah. Like I, I remember, you know, at one of the thing, one of the projects I had to do in my internship was I had to, like the lead animator, Andy, he, he went on vacation and I was taking over one of his projects and I was like, yeah, cool, I can do it. And there was this one thing that needed to be animated. I needed to animate a candle and the candle had to like flicker for a minute and then like kind of wipe away into the, and resolve into the scene. And I just couldn't do it. Like I, I was just like, I'm really like, I'm stuck on this. I can't do it. And I was so afraid that when Andy got back, he was going to be pissed because Andy had a, has a bit of a temper. Um, and I, I was like, oh man, Andy's going to be so pissed. And it was fine. He came back and I was like, look, Andy, I'm really sorry. I, like, I just, I was trying to do this. I just couldn't get it right. Like, I don't know how to animate this. Like, you know, I wish I knew 3D and maybe if I did it in 3D and I could translate it to flat. Like, and he's like, no, don't worry about it. And he just did it in, you know, in the two hours when he came back. You know, it took me two weeks to try and figure out how to do it. I didn't actually do it, but it was fine. You know, it was like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's no problem. I got it. It's like, huh, okay. So I think like having, like, I've had many of those experiences where people are just like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I got it. You know, like I, it's okay. Like I trust you. I know you're an intern, so it's okay if you can't do things, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think I've been in enough of those situations that now I have confidence and now I treat, I try to treat other people in that same way too. Like, you know, I put pressure on somebody unnecessarily. And I think that's the thing I learned from working with Jeffrey and working with all the great people that I worked with. Like, and that, that's a thing that I think is a cool thing to pass on. No, that's, I, I think that's a really, really good outlook. And it, it, I don't know, it, it doesn't sound like you've worked in too many, or at least environments that you could control. Um, hostile or negative or just any of that stuff because I don't know it's the um reading that creativity ink book they talk about it a little bit there but it, the work is made up of the people right and then also um the behavior and attitude of those people so if you fill your environment with to some extent positive people who or who understand like hey you don't know it I do okay let's it you're not wrong let's just get it to work teach you how, figure it out, whatever, move on to the next thing. You build uh, an environment that's probably more conducive to learning, experimentation, and just generally being more accepted or acceptance of, you know, everyone and how they work and what they work on. Totally. I mean, it, it's it's all about the people. Like right now, Squarespace can build a better site than I can, you know? So like <laughs> if that's the bar, like like the only the only difference there is that Squarespace, like I have people that I work with and Squarespace has a bunch of technology behind it, you know? And, yeah. and so I think like that one of the first things I do when I work on projects with a team is I sit down with the team one-on-one and I ask everybody, what do you want to do on this project? And it could be anything. Like, oh, I want to learn, you know, Angular or like I want to, uh, like I want to experiment with a new design style or like I want to learn this type of illustration. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's figure out a way to do that on this project. And if that's the outcome, that's great because everybody feels like they win. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and I'm going to ask a question. Like, at any point, did you say I'm going to do one or the other? I.e., I mean, at this point, you could consider some of the stuff you did as front-end development. Oh, yeah. And then the, the other side of it is just straight-up design. Yeah. So at any at any point, did you did you like be like, I have to decide. Yeah. So, um, early on I was a developer, right? So like, yeah. I, I always did a little bit of both, but I was much stronger at development. And 
at some point I realized that I thought I had a shelf or I had a, there was a, there was like a, a ceiling for me as a developer mm-hmm. that I didn't have for me as a designer. And so I spent a year, I took down my portfolio. I just took work freelance and full-time or whatever that where I could be a designer. Like I, I consciously decided I'm going to oh, be wow. a designer. Like I'm not going to be a developer anymore. And I can, you know, I can hold my own when it comes to development. I've led dev teams before. I still do it now. I like, I've talked to developers, like I'm a developer and like, but what I realized was that when I do a design project, when I'm done with it, I'm like, bring it on. Let's do the next one. And when I do a development project, I'm like, it sucks the life out of me. I'm like, oh, I need a break. Like, I can't believe I did that. Why, should, why did I do development on that project? I should have hired somebody. Like, and then every once in a while, I'm like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll code the next one. And then I do that. And I'm like, oh, why did I do this again? So, <laughs> so development like draws energy away from me. And it's not that I don't like it. It's just that that's the feeling that I get. And so I realized like, I should, probably shouldn't be doing this. So I consciously yeah. made the decision. I was like, I'm going to be a designer. I rebuilt my portfolio to only show design projects. I only took design work as like freelance and, and otherwise. Um, I took any project that I could where I could design. Um, and then I built myself up as a designer. Like I never called myself a front-end developer before. I corrected people when they called me a developer. Um, you know, like I was, I was pretty intentional about doing that. And now I think, you know, most people know me as a designer than, than a front-end developer. And I'm, I'm, much, I'm much happier with that as an outcome. Yeah. At what point in your career did you make that decision? Yeah, pretty early on. I mean, I think maybe like maybe I was like two two ish years into you know into development when I started at Happy Cog. My title was designer slash front end developer. Right? It was too super inelegant, you know. Yeah. And and I was just like, yeah, like I don't have a growth path with this title. Yeah. I don't like I don't. It makes people uncomfortable to supervise me, like because I was working on the design team, but I was leading the development team. Like it was just it was really messy. And it was at that point that I was like, I gotta, I gotta pick one of these. You yeah. know, I gotta, I gotta really focus on one. So now, like, I can hold my own when it comes to development, but I'm not, I, like, I'm not a superstar at that. Like, I can, yeah. I, I do fine, but I've, like, I have certainly let that fall by the wayside, you know, in favor of me being a better designer and a better art director and a better creative director. It's, it's probably smart, <clears throat> and it just gives you focus, I guess, yeah. to become that expert. Um, I want to fast forward a little bit to super friendly and more on, well, okay. I want to fast forward to around the time super friendly started before it started when you decided you wanted to start it. Okay. So what, I guess briefly, what were you doing? Well, obviously you're doing design stuff, but what made you decide be like, you know what? I want to go on my own or, you know, rather start my own thing. Gotcha. So there's really only one thing that we're skipping. Like, so we are talking about happy cloud stuff and then we're talking about super friendly now. There's one thing in the middle of that, which is that's when I got married. My wife and I decided like we were sick of Philly. Mm-hmm. Let's go see if we could do New York. Like, cause if mm-hmm. we can make it in New York, we can make it anywhere. So yep. we moved to New York. I went to work at an agency in New York called Big Spaceship. Okay. Um, and so that was, so the only gap that we have in the story there is the three year, the three and a half years that I spent at Big Spaceship. Um, so I was at Big Spaceship, uh, and right after Big Spaceship is when I started Super Friendly. I had no plans to start my own company. Like I love being an employee. Yeah. I, I love having good bosses. I think I'm a good employee. I think I'm a good like. I think my my biggest skill is being a good number two. <laughs> like I don't feel like I'm a good number one. I don't feel like I'm a good owner. Or I'm a good. Um, 
you know, like, like the guy to make the decisions. I feel like I'm a good supporting, like right hand man, you know, like somebody else makes the decisions, but I'll be there to support that person. Um, and so I've always, I've always felt that. Um, and I, and I still do, but so I, I've never really wanted to start my own company. What really did it for me was I loved working at big spaceship. Like I, if it were up to me, I'd be there forever, but my wife and I decided to have kids and when we decided to have kids, we found out that it's hard to raise a kid in Brooklyn, or at least it was for us. Yeah. And so, like, being in a tiny apartment, like, not really having a lot of people around, like, support-wise, you know, to help out, like, the the decision to move back to Philly, where we, we are now, like, where I live now, 10 minutes from my parents, 15 minutes from, from Emily's parents, like, that is too much of a good thing to pass up. So that's the decision to leave big spaceship was really, it wasn't really to leave big spaceship. It was, you know, let's, let's go back home. Let's go be in your family. Um, and then I was like, you know, I love big spaceship so much. I don't know that I'm going to find another place that I like as much. Yeah. And what, and my, my motivation at that point was like, I, I have a kid, like I want to spend as much time with my kid and my wife as I can. And I'm not going to be able to do that having a full-time job somewhere. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to invest all of my effort. Like I, like I always try to do, um, like being a good employee. And sometimes that's going to mean late nights. And sometimes that's going to mean like not being around during the day. And that's not good for me, like for the way that I want to raise a kid. So yep. I was like, well, like if I were to, if I could stay home, I could maybe be a better dad. And so what, like what job would allow me to stay home? And there weren't many, you know, there, there aren't a lot of those um, other than, you know, let me start my own company and see if I could make it. So that was really the motivation. Like I, the motivation wasn't, let me start a company. Let me figure it out. It was more like, let me see how I could be home. Okay, I guess starting a company is the way to do that. Let's yeah. see how that goes. Um, and how long have you been doing Super Friendly? Uh, so about three and a half years now. And based off of your background, um, it is not your bedroom. <laughs> no, that's right. So um, It looks like it's going pretty well. Yeah. So when we moved back to Philly, we moved into an old church. And, uh, and it was pretty run down. And there's a longer backstory to that. I'll tell you that some other time. But Yeah. Um, well, it seems fitting for you based on your background, like in the <laughs> church and stuff. Yeah, totally. I have a, it's a, so it's, it's sort of like an, it was an old community church, right? And then they moved into like a proper church and then mm-hmm. this building was left. But there is kind of an interesting like almost like stained glass window thing out in, in you know, in the front. So it's, it's oh, kind of like, cool. so if you drove by it, it looks like a house. But yeah. you'd be like, what is that window? It's a kind of a weird window. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of cool. Um, and so uh, it was, it's pretty run down, but we basically renovated it. Um, and my family and I, we live upstairs. So I've got like 1,500 square feet upstairs and I'm downstairs now. This is my studio. I've got 1,500 square foot studio down here. Um, and the, the way that we went about that was, you know, the place was pretty run down. And uh, my wife's brother, my brother-in-law, he, he was like, He's like working odd jobs every every now and again. You know, he'd like build pools one summer. He'd like work at a convenience store one summer. And like he just mm-hmm. had these like, you know, one year, six month jobs, stuff like that. Yeah. And he's like, I'm tired of doing this. I want to have a career. Like I want to I want to marry my girlfriend. I want to move out of my parents' house. Like I want to do all this stuff. And I can't do that working at 7-Eleven basically. Yeah. Um, and he was like, I'll renovate your house because I know how to do that. If you train me on how to be a web developer. Oh, like, that's an awesome trade. All right. I was like, yeah, totally. And to me, I'm like, yeah, I totally make out in that deal. For him, he's like, I totally make out in that deal. You know? yeah. um, and so he became my first apprentice. Um, oh, that's cool. So that's how I started my apprenticeship program was he was, was that the recently? first apprentice. What's that? Or was that three years ago when you got the space? Because yeah, I know, no, it was three I saw, years ago. Okay. Because I know recently you, and I'll put it in the show notes, 
recently is either on your site or on Twitter about you, like l- starting soon, you're going to be taking on a new apprentice. Yep. So random question in terms of the renovation, he, he still, you guys still had to get all like the permits and stuff, right? Yeah, we did. So like, oh, okay. so he didn't build out this space, but he basically renovated it. And not, like we didn't do any structural changes or anything like that. So we yeah. got around all the permits. Um, so he did basically our living space and, and he didn't really do much down here. And then once we were kind of situated there, I worked out of a spare bedroom for a little while, um, which was agonizing. Um, and then actually he and another apprentice, the three of us worked in like an eight by eight room upstairs. It was, oh, it was wow. really rough. It was, it was sweaty and we were boys and it's, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it was bad news. It was smelly is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then when things were going well enough, it, I got like a, a proper contractor to do this space. So we, you know, so, um, Greg, my brother-in-law didn't do this space, but, but, um, he helped kind of get us set up when we moved back. And what is he doing now? So is he's he, a, oh. he's a developer of an agency in Philly. He, uh, he works at a place called Blue Cadet. Um, and they do like really cool like museum installations and touchscreens and all that kind of stuff. So he's That's killing awesome. it over there. Um, yeah, yeah, he's been there for about a year and a half now. And all just to like, and I'm obviously I don't really know, but just just to throw like a coat of paint on your upstairs living space, basically and all of that. That's yeah, so put up bad. some drywall, you know, and and paint some stuff, and you know, and yeah. So he like he got married. Eight months ago, uh, him and his wife actually just are, they're signing on a house, I think this week or next week. So, That's I mean, awesome. you know, he, he, he put his head down and he worked really hard and now he's, he's living the dream. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, so in regards to super friendly, I'm sort of curious, is there, was there ever a moment you were sort of worried? Oh yeah. Like, oh man, if I don't. It's every day. <laughs> every day I'm worried. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How do, how do you, uh, so I'm coming from a gainfully employed position, right? Like mm-hmm. the premise of me sort of having to go hunt my own food is slightly scary because right now someone brings it to me, right? If food being s- symbolic of a paycheck. Yeah. I've heard from someone that it's like the worry about being paid next week or the week after that is always there. You just learn to live with it. Yep. That's, that's definitely my outlook. Like I've just become comfortable with that. So Right now, I think I'm booked up for the next two months. No, yeah, yeah, maybe about two months. I have no idea what's coming next after that. No idea. And, and like I've gone where I'm like next week, I don't know what I'm doing. And you just, you know, for me, I'm like, that's cool. Something else, something always comes. Something always happens. Like and call it luck or coincidence or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to attribute it to. There's always something there. Like I think there's a lot of good work that's out there right now. You have to work hard to get it and find it and, you know, and, and get there and make the right connections. But like either way, you're going to do some hard work. You're either going to do some hard work for someone, you know, who's going to do that work for you or you're going to do the hard work yourself. And I think, you know, there's merit in, in both of those. So I figured I had done the hard working for people for the last, you know, 12 years. So let me see what it looks like to do the hard work for myself. Um, you know, to me, like it's the same kind of hard work. It's just, it's equivalent hard work. It's just different hard work, but it's just, it's it's equally as challenging. And, yeah. and I don't know. I mean, so it's it's sort of like partly you just grow accustomed to it and you just get comfortable with the uncomfortability. And then the other part of it, and you know, I don't mean to to scare you or any of the listeners or anything like that, but you know, when you're working for somebody, the same fear is there. Like you get laid off at any time. You can get fired yeah. at any time. But there's the illusion of security there at least. Yep. Right. And I think that's that's yeah. okay. Like if, if you accept that, that's totally cool. 
Um, but I realized like, oh, like at any point, any of those agencies that I've been working for could have gone out of business. They could have folded or got acquired or not got clients or laid off or any of that stuff. And so I'm like, well, you know, at least now my fate's in my own hands. Yeah, that, no, the risk thing, well, when you say like getting fired or getting laid off is equally as risky as like trying to make your own paycheck. I think, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot for myself. I'm in a position where I would like to go freelance, but not yet. Uh, I like building stuff on my own. I like being the lead and, you know, the, being the sole front end on a project. But I'm, I still want to work with a bunch of people smarter than me. Uh, so like that, that to me is the most important part. I think what ends up happening is it's the type of risk you are avoiding. Uh, one is avoiding having to make sure you make the right amount of money. Mm -hmm. The other risk is, um, or the other thing that you're avoiding by taking a job is searching for a job. So it's a, you know, it's like, uh, go freelance and I have to make sure that my heat is on with my own money that I just went out and got or take a job, get fired, laid off, and then just go get another job. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's, yeah. it's, it's like, there's some like proverbial or in, like intangible Walmart of jobs that we just walk into, get one off the shelf and, and we're good and go back when we run out. Yeah. Um, but no, it's definitely scary. I have tons of respect for you and a lot of other people. I got a buddy who, um, you're actually, you're the last episode. I don't know if I told you that beforehand, but yeah, you're the last episode of this season. No, I didn't um, know or, that. At least recording-wise. Okay. Um, I still don't know it. It'll probably go out in the same order, but um, I have a buddy, Andrew Norcross. He um, he was on the episode. He was on a, a prior episode. Um, he's a WordPress developer, but yeah, he's just like, you know, I don't, I mean, I get it. If you think about it, you're going to sort of drown yourself in doubt and worry and and just sort of fear. Yep. So doing that will actually lead to exactly it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, totally. So you just gotta dump it. That no oh man, that's badass. We're coming up on time. Um, and I don't want to keep you from your family, even though I know they're sleeping. They're sleeping. I don't know. <laughs> my so my girlfriend, whom I love very much, um, I could tiptoe in quieter than a church mouse, and she's still like, What are you doing? <laughs> Um, so I'm very cognizant of that for others as well now too, but, um, we've got three questions left. Right. Um, the first, after 12 years, you know, you've worked with the Carmelones, John Stockton, <laughs> Gary Payton's, Kobe Bryant's of the industry That's right. at the time and still currently, well, you worked with them at that time. They are those people. And doing all that stuff in the past 12 years, if you could go back and tell that high school kid who was like trying to cobble, well, who was like, no, I'm not going to try to do a portfolio <laughs> or at any period in your life, what would you tell yourself? Uh, so I was lucky. Well, I was, I was lucky that the thing that I would tell myself that I would tell like younger Dan is a thing that my dad told me. Like he did, like it is the advice that I had gotten. I, I just wish I would have listened to it. Yeah. Well, that's that's every adult when they think about yeah. their younger self. Yeah, exactly. I wish I'd listened to it, but I heard it, you know, at least. So I was lucky that I at least heard it, which is that my dad always, he would always tell me to be humble. Like my dad is, he's like the most humble guy you'll ever meet. He's just totally, he's just like so self, he's so like serving of others. And um, he's just so humble. And he's like, he's like very, he's very smart and he's successful and he's wealthy, but you, you'd never 
know it by, like um, you'd never know it unless you studied it you know like you you could have a conversation with them and you you'd have no idea and he would always tell me to like be humble and i was there was a period in my life where i was just so arrogant like just oh man like i, I remember in one week my girlfriend at the time at the time who's emily and my wife now um my my coworker and my brother both told me they couldn't stand they all told me they couldn't stand to be around me because oh wow because i was so arrogant and I was like, yeesh, <laughs> like that sucks. You know, <laughs> and that's what check. made me realize it. Cause you know, when one person says it, you're like, yeah, whatever. Like you're, you suck, you know? Yeah. But all three of them in the same week said that, to yeah. me, said the same thing to me. And I was like, all and right. all pretty important people, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, like if this was a stranger, I'd be like, whatever, I'd blow it off. But like three important people in my life, you know, the yeah. person I worked with the most, the person that I loved the most and wanted to marry. And like my brother, who's like, you know, he's, he's like my, he's my hip, you know, like we're joined at the hip. So yeah. like all three of these people telling me that like, I, they don't want to be around me. That was, that was very hurtful, you know? And yeah. so I think, um, you know, I've learned or at least have tried to be a little bit more humble about stuff. And um, I just wish I'd done that earlier. Cause I think it would have gained even more if, if I had done that. Yeah. Um, now would you tell, someone coming into this industry, anything different? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think everybody seeks fame, right? Like, like everybody wants to be speaking at a conference or writing a book or do, like in the spotlight. And, you know, it's, it's fine, but like, who cares? <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, when, when I, when I was working at Happy Cog, like we were doing excellent work and we were doing it for clients that were, were like, you know, they weren't the the big Fortune 100 companies of the world, but we were mm-hmm. doing great work. And I was like, I want to, I want to work with Sony, and I want to work with, you know, HBO, and I want to work with Nike, and I like, and that's what part of the reason I went to Big Spaceship was like, I want to do that work. And then I got a chance to do that. Like, I, the my years at Big Spaceship, I worked with HP and GE and Crayola and Lucasfilm and, all, and like all these great companies, and it made me realize like. They're no different. Like, there's nothing yeah. different about those projects than than the other ones. You know, the, it's the same. They're the same projects. Like they might come with a little bit higher budgets, but they come with higher requirements. So it all, you know, it all shakes out. Yeah. Um, and I think the same thing is true about the spotlight. Like it, it's the same. You know, being in the spotlight is the same as being as not being in the spotlight. Like you just got to make the most of what you're doing. And so I think you know, like everybody seeks that stuff, and then they feel unfulfilled when they get there. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, and I think like that's the wrong stuff to focus on, you know. And and it's certainly it's my my opinion. For some people, maybe maybe it is, but um, you know, I like providing for my family. That's I, that's a that's a good thing. I like not working an eighty hour week so that I can play basketball on the weekends if I want to, or like go to the park, or you know, I like every day in the summer I take my kids to Sesame Place because that's the closest water park. Uh, do you know what Sesame Place is? No, I don't. Sesame what is that? Place is a water park that's themed with Sesame Street characters. That and is amazing. Have you ever been to the away. Sesame Street offices? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh, dude, you need to go, even just to go. <laughs> so really random tangent, I'll be quick. Um, in their lobby, they've got all these framed pictures of the Sesame Street characters. But it's not pictures, they're all framed uh, like displays. Mm-hmm. But they all interact with one another. Nice. So like Bird and Ernie will be, you know, it'll be like Bert, Big Bird, Ernie uh-huh. and Bird and Ernie will be yelling at each other and Big Bird's like looking back and forth. Oh, that's awesome. And the whole wall is like that. That's the, awesome. Their office is so cool. All right, we're uh, going to take sorry, two field trips. Random. I'm going to come to New York and we're going to go to Sesame Street Workshop and then you're going to come to Philly and then we're going to go to Sesame Place. Yeah. 
By the way, when you're in New York, I'm gonna prove to you that La Bagel is better than Bagel Hole. No, this is this is a no. I I cannot (laughs) accept that. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, the fame thing I think is interesting. I would argue and say that I think it's fame, but I also think it's part legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, in my opinion, legacy is probably more important than fame. Yeah. Because it's like a more long, like Paris Hilton was famous. She doesn't have a legacy though, you know? <laughs> um, but I think it's, I think you're right. I, and I think we do that because of just sort of that, everything that the sum of, uh, or the parts that equal that sum of fame or legacy, for the most part, at least professionally speaking, um, you don't really get famous for being the guy that like is a hack. Yeah. Well, you might get famous for being the hack, but like those hacks don't equate to notoriety and fame. Yep. Uh, I think a lot of it hopefully comes from the the premise of like being diligent, doing good work, dutiful, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I think hopefully it's, it's, it's uh, coming from a good place. Maybe we'll see. Uh, but I, I, I do, like, I don't know if I were like uh I don't know if, if I like came out with like a framework that everyone uses, like, man, it's really, like that'd be some pretty dope stuff. <laughs> but, um, all right. So the last question, and I was thinking about it and I think I know what it is. Okay. You only get to wear one pair of shoes for the rest of your life. Oof. What are they? Oh man. Can I think out loud a bit or do I have to yeah, answer? Think, no, you can think out loud as long as you want. There's no Jeopardy, Jeopardy tone that's going <laughs> to pop right. up. We're not going to, we're not going to play you off the stage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ah, one pair of shoes. Okay, so it's between the two. My favorite, my favorite pairs of shoes, because probably why I have the most of these, is the Nike Air Max ninety, yep. or some pair of Air Jordans. That's both are fair. The nineties Air Max nineties never look good on my feet. I got like small feet, and they I don't know. They look like space boots. Really? Yeah, never. See, I feel out. the opposite because I have small feet too, and I think they they like are one of the only shoes that make them look appropriately sized. That's yeah. I mean. Maybe I was a I was always looking down at them. Uh, <laughs> right. so I don't know, these don't look that good from up here. <laughs> so one one pair of nineties, like some pair of nineties probably, or or Air Jordans. I have I have a pair of Air Jordan retro ones that have like a herringbone pattern on them that I just love, and they're oh, nice. they're like totally dogged. Um, and normally I like I put away the dog pair because like I have, I have so many pairs of sneakers. Yeah, but I just keep wearing these, and and my wife is like, like, oh, why are you? Wearing, can you clean those at least or something? But and they just look gross, but I still wear them because I love them. So it's it might be those, or I have Jordan retro ones that are like the original red, black, and white Jordan. So it might oh, be nice. those too. So but they were the that. retro. They were the retro ones. You said they yeah, weren't like retro. the OGs. Yep. I wish they were the original ones, but you know, not not really. Um, my um my roommate Frank in when he was in high school. Because he, he's born and raised in Brooklyn. Okay. And he was a big sneakerhead. Him and his friends, they would drive around in Jersey mm-hmm. to some of the like, um, I, I'll tell you exactly how he told it to me. He was like, well, what ended up happening is you've got a lot of um, non-American native speaking families, whatever, owning sh- random shoe shops in random parts of Jersey. Like Hoboken, that kind of stuff. Yeah, right? okay. They didn't go too far. So he'd go to these places, and the way he, like, his biggest hit, he's like, I went to some, like, shoe store. It was owned by a Chinese family. He was like, and all we would do is we'd ask them if we could um, clean out their attics and their basements. Hmm. And that's how they would find, like, OG shoes from the no Yeah. I, I think he still has a pair. That's awesome. But they're like, I mean, they're just beat from, from you know, being 20, sure. 20 plus years old. But that's how he was getting shoes. 
And there was this other kid at the park near me. Um, he was like sneakerhead before it was this called a sneakerhead. <laughs> and he bought like practically wholesale the the Tiffany SBs. Oh, nice. Paid for college. No way. <laughs> yup. I mean, he went to university. Him and I, he's from Florida too. This guy, they call him Peaches. Don't know why. It's like a <laughs> random a white nickname. dude. Oh no, his last name is Peach. That's why. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember he's telling me, he's like, yeah. He was like, I was just really into him. He's like, and I pretty much, he's like, I um, I went to all the stores that had them and just bought them all. And then flipped them online. That's insane. Because I guess like in random parts of Florida, you could still go and get these like really limited shoes on the day they dropped in small towns that had like hyper strike accounts and stuff. Gotcha. Nobody was buying them. Yeah. So he was doing that. And then he met the, he like flew up to New York to sell them at Fight Club. That's what it was. <laughs> um, awesome. And he met the designer of the the Tiffany's. And he's like, you just paid for my way through college. <laughs> That's uh, so cool. It's, <laughs> it's so crazy to me that, sh- that like the shoe culture, I don't know if it is anymore, but when I was in high school, it was still incredibly po- like popular and very lucrative if you like, yeah. if you donated your time to it. I mean, at the same time though, buying a pair of shoes for $100 and flipping them for $500 to me, the profit just isn't. There's a lot more. There's a lot more work yeah. than profit in that. But I guess you're not doing it for the profit. You're doing it because of like the experience, and you just like it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I like if I was smart, I would probably collect shoes as a collector. But I I collect them because I like to wear them. So like, yeah. none of my shoes are worth money because I've worn them for you know yeah. forever. Well, that's um, why I can never do it because I always wanted to wear them. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then you got to buy two pairs and one to wear, and it's like ah, it's just then you just waste even more money. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, so yeah, Nike uh, Air Jordan Air Jordan Retro ones. I'm gonna go with that. All right, cool. Um, where can people find you online? And yeah, no, that's all I got. Where, where can <laughs> they find you online? So I've all but abandoned my personal site. I, I'm, at some point, I will revisit it. But DanielMall.com is where I infrequently blog. Um, more frequently, I'm on Twitter as Daniel Mall. Um, and then if anybody wants to email me, you know, Dan at DanielMall.com. You can find me at SuperFriend.ly. Um, all sorts of places. Google Dan Mall, you should find something. Cool. Well, Dan, I appreciate you joining me on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Yep. Have a good one. You too.